1: Hi there, everyone. Jeanette Linfoot here. Welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. Now, the episode you're going to hear now was actually recorded back in May 2020. And it was when I was lucky enough to be invited onto Laura Muse's podcast, The Social Propertypreneur. And we had such a great conversation that I really wanted to share it with you here today. Now, a lot has changed in the world since then, and certainly one of the things is that Chris and I have actually relocated for our property business from London up to Manchester. So that's one change. But a lot of what we talk about is still absolutely relevant to today and to the journey that we're on as two women in business. Uh, So I hope you're going to enjoy it. I certainly really loved having the conversation with Laura. So... Over to you guys, and I will see you on the other side. Thanks, and remember, be brave, be bold, be brilliant. Welcome to the podcast episode. Um, today, obviously, we're doing a
0: live stream as well. So a lot of you know this wonderful lady for the people who do not and who are listening to the podcast. Um, I'd like to welcome, obviously, this is a social propertypreneur podcast with me, Laura Muse, and we've got a very special guest today, who is a multiple business owner and property investor? Um, she's one Businesswoman of the Year, and she's also um, one of the most influential women in the travel industry. And she's an absolute power player and a true inspiration to many women. And I'd love to introduce the amazing Jeanette Linfoot. <laughs> Thanks, <Sarah. laughs> You're right, Jeanette i'm fantastic yeah how are you yeah good thank you um well thank you so much for your time today i I really do appreciate it and i think a lot of people are 100% going to get so much value from this and whether you're watching now or you're going to listen to the podcast because you've done some incredible things
2: that's very kind of you to say
0: (laughs) so i'm just going to run through a couple of questions if that's okay obviously it's probably all going to a conversation but um yeah That's what I'm gonna do. So, just for people who don't know who you are, do you mind just telling us a little bit about you, your journey, and kind of how you've got to where you are now? Yeah, sure. So you can probably tell from my dulcet tones that I'm a northerner. I'm a man.
2: Hey, yeah, another fellow northerner. Um, Yeah. So, so, you know, I spent most of my career in the travel industry, so 25 years. But I I started life originally, actually, as a government economist in Whitehall. Which all sounds very grand, but you know, I was there a couple of years and quickly realised that the uh the grey suits and cardigans of the civil service were not for me. So I uh, <laughs> jumped into travel pretty quickly after that and uh, and that's where I spent most of my career. Uh and yeah, you know, worked for some some big brands that you'll all be aware of, you know, Thompson, Thomas Cook, First Choice, Tui. I've pretty much done the rounds over the years and uh yeah, started off at the Boston really like most people do, graduate scheme, all that kind of stuff. And then I really worked my way up and then um, through those organizations um, until I became the managing director of the emerging markets for TUI. So I bought ran, sold businesses in crazy parts of the world, Russia, China, India, Brazil, you name it. Uh, and then in my last kind of big corporate role, I was the CEO of the travel division for Saga. So there I had a portfolio of four businesses. Um, so yeah, it's been an interesting career. Um, But a couple of years ago, I decided to sort of jump out of the corporate world, if you like, and to pursue more of a portfolio. Um, So, yeah, which is kind of where I am now, really, and enjoying the
0: variety and what have you. So, yeah, it's been an interesting time, that's for sure. So, could you tell me a little bit more? Because obviously you've got a couple of businesses. Could you just um, tell us a little bit about, because they are quite different, aren't they, what you do?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, essentially, I've got three main businesses. So one of them is all around, it's almost an extension of my corporate life, if you like, where I work with a lot of boards advising them, mainly on things like strategy, or mergers and acquisitions. So if they want to buy a business, um, I will work with them on that business and kind of assess, you know, the viability, is it a good business? bad business, how much should we pay, what we're going to do once they've acquired the business. So that's sort of one part of what I do. Sort of the, the work, And I work with a lot of private equity clients um, who are interested in the acquisition space. So that's one business. The second business is my property business, uh, which is with my lovely, beloved, Chris Buzertil. Um So ingeniously, our property business, we thought, oh my gosh, how, what name should we have? So it's Buzz- <laughs> But, which is the bus from Chris's buzzer tool and the foot from me, so <laughs> our property, property business, BuzzFoot uh, bus Property. And then the third um, business I have is a business mentoring um, business where I work with a whole range of, of individuals really, men and women. Uh, from all different sectors, whether they're at a more junior stage of their career or, or indeed sort of at board level or trying to kind of get into the boardroom. So, so that's what I do. And then I do a kind of bunch of pro bono stuff as well. Um, so I do some uh, mentoring, which I do for free with Odgers and Bernston, uh, which is one of the big exec search companies. I'm a judge on every woman in travel. And I'm just about to join the advisory board for an organisation called the Founders Factory which works with young entrepreneurial startups mainly. Oh, so
0: yeah, a bunch of
2: stuff going on really. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so you, um, obviously, we've spoken a lot um, previously about how you've inspired women, how you get them into a boardroom position. What led you to start doing that? What, obviously, was it your previous background in property that kind of, you didn't see many women in that position and you felt, you know, You've obviously got a real passion and you inspire people to do that. Do you mind just giving a bit more about that element? Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I mean, it's kind of evolved over, over the
2: years. You know, I've been mentoring for, I would say, more than 15 years um, in, in one capacity or another. And, you know, I guess from, from my perspective, I kind of come from a very working class family, the only one to go to university, you know, and, and really lucky to have the amazingly supportive parents and, and sisters that I had. But nonetheless, I progressed from, you know, as I say, from very working class roots, so I guess for me, I, I'm really interested in how anyone can achieve their potential in life, um, whether that's a man or a woman. I guess from a more female perspective, you know, I've nearly always been the only woman in the boardroom in very male-dominated environment, so that kind of pisses me off for a little bit. <laughs> you know, if, I, if I can do anything to, to kind of help anyone, male or female, or, or any, you know, from whichever cultural backgrounds, whether, you know, working class or different parts of the world, I just get a huge amount of personal satisfaction from that. And so it's partly been because of my own journey, um, I guess, that I feel I've, I can probably help people with sharing some of that and, and how that can help. Um, and, I, you know, I've always had great mentors and people that have helped me and influenced me. And, and sometimes that's formal or informal, right? You know, sometimes you just gel with someone and then they naturally become a bit of a mentor. So I've been really lucky. Uh, so I think t- to give something back and to help other people in that way is, is something I feel really passionate about. And, um, you know, if you talk about gender diversity, just for yeah. a second, I'm getting on my soapbox, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, if you look at um, boys and girls coming out of education, it's pretty much 50-50 out of either college or university. But why is it then that when we get to the most senior positions in industry or business, that if you talk about sort of listed companies as an example, 70% of those board positions are taken by men. And, and in the UK, you know, a woman doing the same job as a man earns 77% less. It earns only 77% of, oh, the, right. same, of the salary. So, so that just feels inherently wrong to me, you know. So I just think if, if I can help anyone, as I say, male or female, to, to kind of help them progress their career or set up a business or climb the ladder or whatever they want to achieve in their personal life, then that, that's just got to be... A good thing, I think. So I, I'm, I'm come from a very normal position, you know. What you see is what you get with me. Uh, so, yeah, that that's kind of where it all started, Laura. To be honest, so probably not the shortest answer in the world, but um, yeah, I think it's it's a nice area to be in and uh, something that I really enjoy doing.
0: Why do you think? Why do you think there is such a big big difference with, especially like your industry, a big percentage of of men that are in the boardroom compared to women why why do you think that is yeah i mean it's an interesting one because if you
2: take travel and tourism which is where i've spent a chunk of my my time you know actually 75 percent of the industry is, is female you know so you can think about travel agents and reps and, and you know all that kind of stuff um but actually at the board level um in terms of female ceos it's six percent so it really drops off a cliff. Now, now, some of that is because of the practicalities. If you're in a travel business, you have to travel, um, generally. You know, it's kind of an occupational hazard. So you know, if you think about working mums, you know, that's not always that easy uh, to do that. Um, so some of it is structural in the sector. Um, but equally, some of it is, is just having role models, I think, as well. You, know, you almost need to get a critical mass of, of women or or you know whether you're black, gay, you know whatever diversity we're talking about uh, you know, sort of someone with disability needs etc. You, when you start to get um, people like that at senior levels, then it, it really sets um, a tone that you can do it too um, so I think there's been a lack of role models historically, and that's changing you know we are getting a lot better. Um, and I guess, I guess also sometimes it's as women, I think we, we hold ourselves back a little bit as well, you know, and, um, you know, as men and women, we are different and that's what makes it so great. It's not one is better or worse than the other. It's that we, we just have different gifts that we bring to the table. Um, so, you know, for me, it's not, it's not about bashing men and saying, Oh, come on, women it's it's around balance and, and having more of a level playing field really. So there's a whole bunch of stuff. Um but I think sometimes as women we, we don't always push ourselves forward as much. You know, if you if you it's proven that if you look at a job description for example, you know, that the guy would sort of look at it and go, oh yeah, I can do 70% of that. Brilliant, I'm gonna go for it. Whereas the woman more typically would look at the 30% that maybe she's not got direct experience of, and hone in on that. Um, So there's some of those sort of inherent traits, you know, we need to work on that. And that's also where the mentoring comes in, because actually we all know, I mean, look at what the amazing business you've created with James. You know, you know that if you set your mind to something and you feel passionate about it and you accept that not everything is going to be perfect and there's going to be a few, you know, (laughs) turns on the journey, but (laughs) Yeah, put yourself out there and really go for it. You know, we know that it's proven. And the other thing is that actually, the fact, you know, never mind it being the right thing to do, but it's financially proven that businesses that have a, a balanced board or a balanced leadership team deliver superior financial results. So actually, from a commercial point of view, it's it's the right thing as well. So, yeah,
0: (laughs) it's an interesting You know, know, obviously, in your your business mentoring that you do do, obviously, you meet a lot of people that have just started out with an idea, potentially, to get to that next level, or they've got a business that's been running for a few years, but they want to grow and scale it to that next. In regards to, like, mindset, what types of things, because obviously, I think, majority of that is a mindset shift and um, mm-hmm. what things do you help them implement into their business to make them exceed and, and go on to the next the next level really yeah uh,
2: I mean you know everyone's different everyone's yeah. coming from slightly different background or a different starting point or you know so so I guess there isn't a one solution fits all it is yeah. very much individualized perspective and that's the approach I will always take is you know, trying to really understand that person and where they're trying to head to, a bit about their background and what maybe some of the challenges that they're facing, and then really trying to create something that's very bespoke and tailor-made for that individual. But there are some common themes, I yeah. would say. The main one is, is self-belief, to be honest, you know, and I think we all, all of us, have different little gremlins, um, and as I say, this isn't just a female thing. This is a male thing as well. It, it's across the board. And, um, you know, and sometimes we'll, we'll have, you know, the old imposter syndrome will kick in. And it will say, you know, oh, you're not good enough or you don't deserve to be at the table or, oh, you've got a northern accent <laughs> and everyone speaks really in there with that one. <laughs> No, seriously it could be it could be a whole host of things I remember when I just flipping back when I joined the government economic service right and it was in Whitehall 90% of people had been to Oxford or Cambridge now i had gone to Leeds right, and Leeds is really <laughs> <laughs> and I came out with a first-class honours degree in economics equally as capable as all of those Oxbridge graduates and they didn't have a problem with it, but probably in my mind, I made it something, you know, and it actually wasn't. So sometimes you just have to try and really work on those little gremlins and that self-belief that sometimes you'll have a voice that's just stopping you from, from doing something. Um, so, so that's a common theme, I would say, in, in that sort of the whole mindset space. And I think also, you know, sometimes people struggle to almost get it clear in their own heads what their purpose is you know what are they really wanting to do and that can change over time you know sometimes you might be focused more on family or you might be focused more on business or your career you know but I think helping draw that out of people is quite useful because you know if you know where you're heading then you kind of can work backwards from there and break it down into manageable chunks because sometimes, you know, you might say, oh, I want to be a multimillionaire. That's absolutely brilliant. You know, have a really, really big goal. Fantastic. And then you start to really break it down because that can seem, well, God, where do I start? You know, what's the, what's the saying? Um, how do you eat an elephant? You know, one bite at a time. And, and <laughs> I think sometimes like, being clear on your purpose, having the right sort of mindset and self-belief. And then backing it up with a very practical action plan um, goes a long way. Um, and then things like networking as well. You know, sometimes people are absolutely terrified of networking. Um, you know, and, and and again, you know, some people are very comfortable in front of others, some people are more shy or feel more nervous. But you know, the more influential, not influential in a in, in a way that, you know, if you spend time with people that have a positive mindset that you're going to learn from, that are going to inspire you. You know, again, that's just going to give you a great boost of energy. And who knows where those conversations are going to lead to as well. So, you know, those are just some of the areas really that I tend to try and work with people. But there's never one size fits all. Yeah. never.
0: But overall, their kind of mindset, of um, well, common commonalities between people Maybe. that you've probably seen.
2: Absolutely, and sometimes you're feeling great aren't you you're feeling top of the world and you're all raring to jump out of bed with a spring in your step and it's all (laughs) fantastic and and then other days you're just kind of not feeling it you know and I think sometimes we're very hard on ourselves you know we can beat ourselves up a little bit and it's actually okay to have an off day and just realise that we're all human and none of us are perfect we're all work in progress and you know cut yourself a bit of slack be kind to yourself um, and enjoy the ride along the way sometimes we're so ambitious, we're so on to the next thing. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? That we don't stop and just kind That's of one pause thing we struggle
0: sure with definitely, especially my husband. We, as soon as we've done something, we just move on to the next thing. We don't actually like pause and enjoy what we've what we've accomplished or what we've just finished. And um, we just like straight into the next thing. We're like I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. It's because we don't actually stop and think actually we've done quite, quite a bit these last few months off, but that's what we're, we're trying to rectify you know, yeah. and sometimes it's not the big things is it you know I mean
2: obviously you can achieve a massive goal and then you know you want to crack the champagne open but sometimes it's just like oh actually yeah, I got through that, that small piece of work and I've been putting it off and I've done it now I'm going to reward myself you know with a, a cup of tea and a ginger nut
0: <laughs> <laughs> celebrate the little things along the way as well well, that brings us on to property. Obviously, we met through property. Property is kind of, um, is, well, all about my life. Um, tell me how you've kind of, what was, because obviously you've been in property for quite a while. It's not just something new to you, but yeah. what kind of made you decide to scale it up? Because um, obviously you've got some great mentors um, that you, you've got now that help you, pushing you to the next level. Do you mind telling yeah. us a little bit about that and the strategy you use and kind of, where you see you be you know, where you want the property business to go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean we dabbled, I would say,
2: like is common with a lot of people, isn't it? And it was <laughs> yeah, it's great it's great the network that we're all part of, you know, to to meet people like you, Lauren, and James and all the other great people that we, we've had access to has been so amazing and refreshing, especially when you spent career in, in, in what mainly one sector to be in property in a proper way is is brilliant so so we're really grateful for that but I think it kind of coincided with me coming out of the corporate world um, and Chris as well had spent most of his career in the travel industry he'd actually retired and he'll tell you a story very well about how he enjoying his life and this that and the other and then I dragged him out of retirement. He's it like I expecting him to like pop up behind you. <laughs> No, no, he's not. He's not. He's not it. big But anyway, so um, yeah. So, so, I guess part some of it was timing, and um, that we, you know, I decided I wanted a more of a plural career. I'd also, you know, I guess we were thinking about long term, you know, mid to long term. What do we want out of our life? And you know, quite frankly, even if you're in a very senior role in any organisation, I mean, you know, you're still exchanging your time for money. Whereas with probably it, you know, as, as you know very well, if you do it in the right way, actually, you can create a really decent asset base for yourself um, that you know you can leverage nicely, and that and it can produce passive income. Obviously, you have to work hard at the beginning to get things in place, as we know, it's not just as easy as that. Um, but once you've got down that road, it, you know, it can really make quite a difference in terms of your you know, your income and you know actually having a good solid asset portfolio that's there for the future as well. So so I guess we like the idea of all of that. Um yeah, so we really, you know, thought, you know, where first of all, we we got ourselves educated, um mm-hmm. as I think a pretty common theme. We're being mentored by Rob Moore and Mark Homer, as you know, which is great, who are the founders of Progressive and they have been amazing for us really. Um, and we knew that if we were going to do this we we didn't want to you know just do something that was going to be small you know so our our aspirations are really big but of course you've got to get going and you, you need to start in the right way so and also, we live in London, uh, despite my Mancunian my accent, uh, but we, you know, the strategy that we, we're following, which I'll go into in a bit more detail, just, just doesn't work that well down here, because just the purchase prices are so high. So we thought, well, if we're not going to invest in our local area, what's the next best thing? And it was either going to be Swansea, where Chris is from, or Manchester, where I'm from. So we chose Manchester, uh, and that's really where we've focused for a number of reasons. And and you know, Laura, we're doing we're doing simple residential buy to lets, um, using you know the buy, refurbish, refinance model, which we all uh, we're all quite in tune with. But for, for maybe people watching, they might not know too much about that. But essentially, you know, you buy a property that where you can add value, so buy at a good price, add value through a refurbishment. Um, and then refinance it obviously a higher value because you've added value take as much of your original investment back out of that property so you still own the property at the end you've got it rented out so you've got passive income coming in from your tenants and then you use that investment to recycle your cash and just keep buying and that's basically the model that we're following and you know what's what's really nice is that i guess because we're we're learning things we've learned in the right way yeah. you know, you're then in a To to almost copy and paste, and you gain confidence through that. So you know, our intention is to continue with the building the buy to let portfolio. um, Throughout, you you know, and also we're getting a a lot of attract, a lot of interest from investors, uh, which is great because if we can, you know, provide superior returns for our investors as well then that is great you know a lot of people want to get into property don't have the time they're sort of cash rich time poor um or just want a better return than they're going to get in the bank which clearly right now is you know interest rate is 0.1 percent <laughs> so when you apply inflation backwards in value in 12 months time so you know so that's really great so we're focusing on the buy select side of things but once we get out of this lockdown period that we're in, um, that we'll be expanding into HMOs as well, uh, because the cash flow is, is higher as we know, but it's, you know, it's, it's the next evolution for us. And then who knows, you know, longer term, I'd quite like to do some commercial conversions and all, all sorts. So
0: yeah, that's kind of where we are really. Cool. So what, is your, what are your goals? Do you mind sharing them with us? What goals are in terms of property? Yes, yeah, I, mean. I know that it's a pretty high figure. <laughs> you, I <laughs> well, I would
2: like us to be having a portfolio that's worth, you know, 15 million plus um, in property in terms of the, the value of the properties yeah. um, and how we get there. You know, obviously, the properties that we buy, um, you, well, if you're in central London, you might struggle to buy one property for 15 million <laughs> a, a <to> garage, <laughs> 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 like parking space. Uh, but obviously in Manchester the the entry point is much lower, so you know we, the volume of properties will, will will evolve depending on you know the mix between buy to lets and and HMOs. Um, but really on the buy to let side we're focused on two three bed houses, um, mainly around um, sort of West Manchester, so around Eccles, Salford, mm-hmm. which is you know easily commutable into into the, into the centre of Manchester. Uh, but you can still purchase at uh, you know reasonable prices and great rental market as well. And there's just been so much investment in Manchester, not dissimilar to Sheffield, Laura, that you're seeing as well. So, so actually, a little bit behind Manchester. <laughs> 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 we're getting there. There's some common themes, though, aren't there, about these? You know, these, these sort of um previous industrial northern towns you know um, so sheffield was all that was all about the steel and, and Manchester was all about the cotton mills essentially you know so they're the evolving and moving forward um, and i think that's great for the city and it means that the demand is high for rental you know, you've got a lot of corporates relocating as well you know the bbc is up in media city now So it made a lot of sense. And and importantly for me, you know, my family's there. So it's great because I get to see more of my mum, my lovely sisters, my nieces and nephews, drive them all crazy. Um, And yes, it just kind of works. So we're
0: excited about it. So how often do you go back to Manchester? Well, not Um, right now, you don't go, you know, when we're not in lockdown. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I would say we're probably spending 50-50 our time um, between Manchester and London. So it just depends, you know, I mean, you know what it's like, It, it sometimes you just, you know, you, you pack your diary full of viewings or whatever, you've got renovation projects going on and you need to be a bit more on the ground. Other times it's more dealing with the investors and the finance side, which is more, probably more of a London-centric um, approach. So more or less 50-50, I would say. Um, yeah, so my mum's delighted, she's never seen so much of me, you know. I, <laughs> I, I I came to London in, like, 94. Oh, so I've been really? To, yeah, I said I'd stay three years, and here I am 25 years
0: later, you know, <laughs> and so my mum's mom, never seen more of me, so, yeah, so it's nice, really nice. So, obviously, <laughs> with you living in London and having properties in Manchester, how do you manage that when you've got projects? Are you completely using, obviously, leveraging other people's experiences, or are you still a little bit quite hands-on? Because I know Chris is quite, is quite his background's, is quite, quite well connected, should I say. So does he get involved in that or do you outsource yeah. it? How does it work? So on the, I mean, on the building side of things, we've got
2: a great building partner that does deals with the refurbishments for us. So, you know, obviously we'll spend time in terms of scoping out the, you know, what we want to do with the property and agreeing, you know, the spec and all that kind of stuff. Um, but pretty much once we've done that, our building partner will then, he'll, he'll manage it from there. Um, so we leverage that. I mean, quite frankly, you know, neither Chris or I are very good at changing a plug, never mind anything else. So <laughs> certainly not our fault. Um, so, yeah, having, having people that you, that you trust is key, isn't it? I mean, in any business, but especially if you're working remotely. Um, and then, you know, on the estate agent side, most of our properties we source through agents. Um, and Chris is really concentrating in particular on, you know, building those relationships. He's fantastic at that. Um, and obviously, I'll I'll do the donut round and the coffee round and stuff, and take the champagne when we when we complete and things like that. But building those relationships has been absolutely key. And I think the thing that people don't often talk about when you're setting up your property business is all the stuff you need to do at the beginning before you even get to buying anything, um, and that takes time and effort, doesn't it? You know, and and those. Hours you spend are well invested, I think. Um, so yeah, a combination of will I'll focus more on the finance and the investor side, Chris will focus more on the lead generation and, and securing the deals, and then we'll very much use our building partner and then the lessons agent or manage the tenant. So we've got a bit of a combination, Laura, to be honest.
0: Yeah. So, what in regards to obviously your other businesses, you must yeah. have some really great transferable skills. I don't think a lot of people identify that they've got transferable skills especially with the starting property there's a lot of people i speak that say oh well, i've got no property experience i don't know where to start what would you say to people who are just starting out thinking that how would they identify what they can transfer over from their current roles or previous roles how would you advise someone to go about doing that yeah i mean i think I think you're, it's, it's a really, really great point, Lil, because everyone
2: has transferable skills, right? Everyone. It doesn't matter what field you've been in. You, you might have been in operations. You might have been in finance. You might have you know, been more on the um, marketing side or of whatever you've done in your previous career. So everyone has transferable skills. But again, sometimes it's that mindset piece that, that can unnerve us and make us think, oh, gosh, it's a new industry. I don't know anything. Um, And and you you do have to sort of, I think, take a deep breath, calmly just reflect on all of the great things you've done in your career or in your previous businesses or whatever it might be. Or, you know, you might have worked for a charity. You know, again, there's so, you know, people have such a wide variety of backgrounds, but there will absolutely be uh, transferable skills for everyone. So, you know, I think sometimes you just have to kind of put the gremlins to one side, just step back a little bit, realise how bloody great you are, and write that down (laughs) if you need to (laughs) remind remind yourself I am Um, (laughs) amazing. And and then I think... um, you know, if you're doing it with your partner, and obviously, you know, Chris and I are in the business together, you and Jones are in the business together, or you might have, you know, another partner or a few people in the business, I think it's then really important to, to say, okay, well, well, who's going to focus on what? Yeah. Because I think certainly, especially if you're a, if you're a, a husband and wife team, sometimes you can find that you might butt up against each other a little bit. I, I well,
0: know, in you, the early
2: days. <laughs> you're finding your your, your new flow aren't you you know so and, and certainly chris and i have really sort of divided our talents um if you like and our experiences so there's always transferable skills take some time to just step back and think about what they may be and then you know there will be gaps of course there'll be knowledge gaps in terms of understanding the sector so get yourself educated and you know that that you kind of pay for that if you really want to to do it in a more detailed way or there's loads of free stuff online or, you know get to know people you know generally I think in the world of property people are very very helpful and um, and and because there's enough to go around for everyone you know in, in the world that I've lived in sometimes it's ruthless you know people are oh, just gonna
0: say I found it so strange when I first came into property because people genuinely wanted to help and my first thought was what do they want <laughs>
2: you know people will sell their grandmother to climb the slippery pole of, the, of their career you know sometimes but properties I mean of course you're going to meet the old person that's maybe not quite your cup of tea right fine but generally I think the people are happy to help and share their experience and knowledge so you know the great thing is property anyone can do it actually um, you know so it's just trying to really focus on what's going to be right for you and I think go at your own pace as well, you know, because everyone's different. Again, your objectives are different. You're coming from a different starting point. You know, for what some people, it might just be a case of having one or two to It's a little bit of a nest egg and, and that's great. You know, they're happy with that for other people. They want to build large businesses like like, like we're doing, you know, and but there's no one size fits all. So I, I would definitely try and not compare yourself too much to other people. Um, and if that puts you in a negative mindset of feeling pressure
0: and unnecessary. So last but not least, while we finish this podcast, would you mind, obviously, with what's going on, we've got a global pandemic that's going on with COVID-19, how has has it, or has it even affected your property business, and what do you think, kind of, maybe the repercussions potentially may be in property?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, obviously it's, it's you know, the word unprecedented, I don't think I've ever heard it so much, ever. <laughs> um, but it's true, isn't it? You know, it is unprecedented and, and everyone's trying to sort of navigate through this in the best way they can. So you know i mean in terms of the pipeline shall we say of deals and properties being sold etc that that's difficult right now clearly because you know you, you're not able to do viewings you know valuers are not are not going out you know so so actually on that side of things there's clearly a bit of a press pause i would say to a certain degree it doesn't mean to say it's impossible but but probably not as easy as it was before um but actually, when we come at, for us, for us, it's all about putting ourselves in a in a good position to come out of this, you know. So, I think businesses and individuals that have conserved cash, um, either their own cash or investor cash, you know, and sort of you know keep in touch with you investors because they will still want to invest in property. Um, certainly, that's what we what we're finding. Um, so, be careful with your cash. And then I think coming out the other side, of course, there's going to be an impact. How long, how deep, who knows? You know, we don't have a crystal ball, but I wouldn't be surprised if property prices fell. Um, I think that's probably an obvious thing by how much, who knows? Um, could be significant, you know, could be 20, 30%. Yeah. Um, I do think there's more liquidity in the, fi- in the banks, probably, than the last crash, You know, if you think about 2008, it was was all about the subprime mortgages in the US that then kind of rippled. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the same challenge now. So so I think coming out the other side, finance should be available. Um, I think there'll be more properties coming on the market if you're in the residential space. uh, Because unfortunately, whether we like it or not, you know, there are going to be certain individuals that are going to have quite financial hardship through this. Who are maybe homeowners now, that may need to sell their properties and therefore will then s- switch into the rental market. So I think there'll be more properties. I think there'll probably be fewer investors um, because you know people's circumstances might mean they haven't got quite as much cash. But you know what? At the end of the day, people need good solid housing to live in. 100%. So you know. So I think the lettings market will actually be stronger. So so for us, we whilst it's difficult right now, of course, and we're very focused on the human aspects of COVID-19 because at the end of the day thousands of people are losing their lives and they're you know facing financial hardship that's awful from a business point of view there will be opportunities out the other side um I think the high street might look different going forward I mean obviously retail was having a difficult time before all of this you know so will there be more opportunities with commercial conversions Maybe, um, yeah. So I think it'll be interesting. I mean, obviously, we're all going to be watching closely, aren't we? And I think the key is to to, to make um, rational, calm decisions and not to knee jerk to react too much one way or another. Let things settle a little bit, but but then you know, once you've got those opportunities, just go for it. I think if you've got ambitions to build a big business or invest in property, um, it's going to be a good time, actually.
0: Oh, well thank you so much jeanette um i really enjoyed speaking to you i always do i hope everyone who's watching live and who's going to be listening to this podcast has if you have i'll put in the show notes and um, there's going to be all jeanette's details and um, you can follow her on social media go onto her website and connect with jeanette um, thank you very much who's watching and um, we can't see because there's a few streams going on um, <laughs> We will go back and look at any questions if you've popped any questions in and answer them. Um, but thank you again. To you
1: Oh, Thank you, Laura. Really love
0: speaking to you. Thank you so much.